Hey, before this episode begins, there's a little bit of context we'd like to give you. We recorded this episode in early 2019 and at the end of the episode, we have a little update. So stick around for that. Hi, you're listening to The Lit Pickers with Dipanjana Pal and Supriya Nair. We get together to talk about books we've read and some we haven't occasionally. So I've been reading uh, Gyan Prakash's new book on uh, the emergency. Which is as lovely a pillow talk as I've ever had, Supriya. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd dive right into the sexy stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> emergency. Indira Gandhi. Just my pulse is fluttering. <laughs> anyway, but yes, uh, Gyan Prakash's new book on mm. the emergency. How are you liking it? I think it's really good. I really enjoyed his last book, Mumbai Fables. And I really appreciate the attempt to put the knowledge that already exists about the emergency, of which there's a great deal and of which there's new stuff being produced uh, you know, in academia all the time into a readable, accessible, popular history. Uh, and I think he does a very admirable job. He's a historian by profession. He's a teacher of history as right. well. Clearly not a bad one. <laughs> and so he is a good professor. Mm. There is a professorial quality to the book, but you can tell that he's one of those guys whose lectures you'd want to attend. And I have to say, when I saw the book, um, it's a fat book, mm. right? And I I did this little bet with myself that will he go back to partition within the first two pages or will it take a chapter? It took five pages. Mm. Um, so you lost the bet? I lost the bet with myself. This right. is what my year is turning out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing, right? Most of the time when people rewind, uh, it feels indulgent. Mm-hmm. In Emergency Chronicles... It doesn't feel indulgent in the slightest. There's a very good reason for him to go all the way back to the drawing of the constitution. The emergency was considered the darkest hour of Indian democracy. Suddenly, we were legally in a state of affairs where the laws didn't exist. It seemed monstrous that Indira Gandhi was able to do this. But as Gyan Prakash shows us, she had the constitutional right to do so, precarious as it was. And that was because the founding fathers put those provisions into the constitution for a reason, which is that in between 1947 and 1950, when they were writing the constitution, India was in flames. Mm -hmm. And knowing that a strong central state was necessary to keeping the body politic together, they put in powers that they genuinely thought and hoped no one would have to use, but that 20 years later, someone did. So Indira Gandhi's legacy in many ways is really informed by the emergency, which is why this book is kind of important. Mm -hmm. There's been, like you said, a lot of writing on it. But uh, the other thing that Gyan Prakash does point out, and I hadn't thought of this, honestly, until I read it uh, in the book, we don't actually have much of Indira Gandhi as a person. Mm. We tend to forget this because she's one of the most photographed leaders we've had, Mm. um, photographed in candid moments, Mm. uh, which were actually not very candid. But, you know, we feel like we've had access to her because she's been part of our public space. Very few Indian leaders have had the kind of profile and the longevity in popular memory that she has. Uh, she's been enshrined in fiction. I was just thinking of the fact that both Rohintan Mystery and Salman Rushdie 
considered two of India's greatest novelists, wrote novels that were heavily critical of her while she was still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very soon after the emergency, which says a lot about the elasticity and responsiveness of Indian fiction, I think, at the time. At the time. I was uh, but it's say. true. Yeah. But it's true that uh, her character remains in some respects a cipher, even though her life is so closely studied and she means so much to so many people, good or bad. One reason for that, of course, is that her private papers have never been made available to study as quite unlike, for example, those of her father, Jawaharlal mm. Nehru. For a more personal look at Indira, though, there was a graphic novel that came out in 2018. It was written by Devapriya Roy and illustrated by Priya Kurya. And it was called Indira. Mm. And it really did try to put across a human version of the politician. And that's complicated because you don't actually have access to things she felt as in, you know, writings where she says, I feel this way or I think X, Y, Z. So there's an assumption then of what she was feeling at what point. Um, When she was young, you still know certain things, but the older she got, the more we were closed off. Mm. So the graphic novel initially I remember looking at it and thinking, this will be really interesting because we don't know enough about the person that was Indira Gandhi. And it turned out to essentially be um, part of a myth-making project. Like there's already a myth-making project around Indira in a huge way. But this contributed to it because Mm -hmm. it glossed over so many of the really problematic parts of Indira Gandhi's political life Mm -hmm. and personal life. So, for example, her uh, marriage to... The not-Muslim Gandhi, mm-hmm. I feel the need to point out, because that's the only reason her husband ever comes into conversations uh, these days, I think. Yeah, especially if you're on WhatsApp. Sorry, guys, he was a Parsi. He had an aunt who lived in Kushrobag. I know this because I have an auntie in Santa Cruz who has an oven from their house. There was never a more <laughs> categorical and complete <laughs> verification process than this. Yeah, take um, that, Adhar. <laughs> Okay, so there's her husband and a failed marriage that doesn't get looked into at all. So let's say you don't want to look at her absolute personal life, like her marriage or whatever. In her personal professional life, Mm. there was a major problem called Sanjay Gandhi. Her bias and blind spot ended up costing this country very heavily. We practically gloss over that. Bhindranwale barely gets mentioned. Emergency is seen from other people's perspective. 1971 war is like a humanitarian act for the benefit of Bangladesh, which, um, hello, it was a slightly geopolitical move. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I found it really disappointing as a story. Was or, the art good? The art is gorgeous. Mm. Priya Kurian is one of the best illustrators that we have in the country. Uh, If you don't follow her on Instagram, you absolutely should. She does so many wonderful things and she's so inventive. And for this book, she's drawn upon old photographs Mm. of uh, Indira Gandhi, who even as a child was heavily photographed. Right. And who's been a kind of artistic muse, for it seems, uh, for so many people. Let's not forget the fact that the most famous photographs of her were taken by Raghu Rai himself, no less. I want to come to Raghurai, but before that, what you were saying about her being, you know, style icon in many ways, Mm. the resurgence and interest in handlooms that we have today, the interest in saris that we have today, 
the, a lot of the seeds of these lie in Indira Gandhi's policy towards promoting handlooms and doing that by wearing these sarees herself. Yeah. By the way. I remember someone going to uh, the museum uh, at her former house uh, in Delhi and coming away saying, oh, this explains so much about so many bureaucrats' homes. <laughs> <laughs> Because the aesthetic of a certain kind of uh, Indian decorum uh, and decor and beauty and uh, civility uh, emerged in some ways from uh, Madam, as she was known. Indeed. So Raghurai, like you said, Raghurai accompanied her and was almost like a personal photographer of hers for a good 10 years in, right. in the first tenure. The, the Pete Souza of his day. Indeed. And he took some strikingly beautiful photographs, right? Mm. And in 2018, we saw one of his lesser known photographs being used as the cover for Shagurika Ghosh's uh, book on Indira Gandhi. Right. This was a biography of Indira Gandhi. Most of the material in it was stuff that we've seen before, including in a very memorable book about Indira Gandhi written by Catherine Frank, mm. which I think remains perhaps one of the best popular works of biography about Indira Gandhi. Ghosh did make the decision that the, to me, strange decision to precede each chapter in her biography with an open letter to the spirit of Indira Gandhi. Uh, Why? I suppose, you know, a biographer wants to talk to her subject sometimes and just wishes she was around. Uh, but it strikes me as the sort of thing that most other biographers tend to leave in their notes uh, <laughs> or say to their friends when they're sad and drunken. So, you know, the question that many of us have asked uh, while in our cups, dear Mrs. Gandhi, what were you thinking when, you, when you instituted the emergency? Kosh has chosen to make part of her book. Is there also a seance moment when she calls upon the spirit of Mrs. Gandhi? We are not privy to such Aww. a moment. And I must say that any spirit, political or otherwise, is kind of lacking from a book that in some ways seems to be a hasty decision to produce a book about a figure of some notoriety mm. um, who, let's also remember, has come back into public consciousness heavily as a sort of shadow figure haunting the current administration, which hmm. is being accused of. If you're listening to this in like 2029. when Or if uh, you're on another planet, this is Earth. <laughs> we are in India. Right. And we're having some problems right now. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just leave us alone. It's a hard time for us. Um, right. So the shadow of, you know, of another uh, extremely popular, but hmm. apparently authoritarian figure who wants to centralize power in the prime minister's office uh, lingers in some ways because she is the epitome of that figure in Indian democracy. So does Shagurika Ghosh's book address the historical legacy of having been the grand matriarch of Indian politics? Um, I think it mostly addresses the fact that uh, Shagrika Ghosh didn't do any great amounts of original research for her book, mm. um, which I thought was a bit problematic. Of course. <laughs> um, I like how sweetly you're putting this. Just a little problematic <laughs> while shooting daggers with your eyes. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> yeah, I just want you to know that the Panjana just shot like finger guns. Yeah, sorry, I hated the book. I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> Um, one of the things that troubles me about how Indira's scholarship plays out is that because we don't have access to a great deal of her private life, we tend to 
take refuge in what other people have said about it, uh, which doesn't strike me as extremely rigorous. Catherine Frank did this too, to some degree. She was one of the first to point out, for example, that uh, a very sinister figure in the life of uh, Jawaharlal Nehru and Indira Gandhi, who Nehru's former assistant, a man named uh, Emil Matthew, mm. you know, produced a work of fiction that was uh, that can only be described as scurrilous, in which uh, his unnamed uh, heroine turned out to be a, a nymphomaniac, yeah. uh, and she didn't need to be named as Indira Gandhi because everyone knew that was who he was writing about. Um, of course, vast extracts from that manuscript are floating around on the internet now, thanks to right-wing bloggers who want you to believe that this highly polarizing sort of fiction has some degree of truth to it. But for example, so to tell you the difference between Frank's approach and Ghosh's, uh, Frank tells you that the book exists and Ghosh quotes from it. Mm. And that strikes me as an approach that says a lot about the two writers and their Frank's concerns. also very, um, she's very sympathetic to a lot of the emotional stresses that Indira Gandhi would have likely faced. Mm. Um, the fact that she had tuberculosis as a child, uh, depression when she was growing up, uh, being a wife to a philanderer. Frank sort of brought all of this in, in a way that wasn't using these details to make Indira Gandhi seem weaker. Because I think this is a problem that we have in our sort of, you know, political public dialogue, that whenever the personal side or the emotional side of a female leader, female politician is brought in, it's always to make her weaker. It's always to make her seem vulnerable. Mm. Whereas the same thing for a male leader is a show of strength. So, the sa for example, what you were saying about this book, which put Indira Gandhi across as an nymphomaniac. Uh, this is obviously a bad thing, right? Mm. Because a woman nymphomaniac, dear God, no. <laughs> but how can she sex? <laughs> it's just wrong, right. clearly. Uh, but... In contrast, we had mainstream media articles celebrating the sex appeal of our current prime minister, mm. who is a man. Right. Right. Uh, just in case anyone. And if forgot. you're and if yeah, and if, if you're that if you're if you are an alien who's not on planet Earth at the moment, he's not sexy. He really is not. I mean, <laughs> however, we had articles saying that, oh, my God, there are all these women whose pulses go pitter patter because mm. he's shown up for a rally. Now, his ability to be seen as a sex object, mm. apparently, allegedly, uh, is seen as a good thing. Yeah, it burnishes his reputation. Right. But a woman who is attractive mm. and a political leader, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Gotta say, have you ever found a politician whose views you don't agree with sexy? No, but this might be because I'm Bengali. <laughs> I think right. it's, a, it's a hormonal problem in the brain. Oh, I thought you just meant that Bengalis <laughs> don't have any sexy leaders. And have you seen say, Mamata? I was about to say, yeah, excuse me. She's Hello, pretty cool. Didi's got it. Yeah, she yeah. totally has well, it. It's actually quite I just watched a video of her playing badminton, actually, and she was, she was very cool. I never thought you could do that with a sari. But uh, seriously speaking, though, Mamata Banerjee is another very good example of somebody whose uh, life has been pushed towards uh, slander in order to weaken her. Mm -hmm. Her background, her... Of paternity, which part of Calcutta she was born in, have all been raised as 
danger flags, you know. And she's not alone. One of the things we learned from the life of Indira Gandhi was that every woman leader who followed her would have to contend with this particular cocktail of an interest in seeing them as a mother, uh, while also a kind of interest in seeing them buried in of some form of notoriety or other. Jailalita had to deal with it also. So does Sonia Gandhi, mm-hmm. who's retired now, but Mayavati, Mayavati, absolutely. So it, it's it's almost a lot in that sense. Uh, some there was another book that came to mind, Delhi Calm by mm. Vishwajyoti Ghosh. Was, right, coming back, of course, to the fact that uh, Indira has you know continues to have enduring visual appeal for, uh, yes. for writers and artists. I think it's got a lot to do with what all of these books look at, which is that on one hand, she is this figure of power and she embodies a lot of the victories that you want to see in the public and political space. But she carries also, it's because of her that a lot of the things that we have problems with today Mm -hmm. in the public and political space, that they come from her time. And I think Delhi Calm got this really well in sharp contrast to what you're saying about uh, the Sagarika Ghosh book, uh, Shagurika Ghosh book, thank mm. you. Delhi Kam, despite being largely fictional, ostensibly was very well researched and very much grounded in the reality of what happened during the emergency. And I think at the time that it came out, it came out a few years ago, there hadn't been this sort of semi-fiction, semi-non-fiction uh, treatment. Mm. And it was good to see. It was really beautifully illustrated as well. But it allowed occupying that limbo, let him look at how much of a hold Indira Gandhi had as a as a figure that the public looked up to. And of course, she's like you were saying, she's inspired fiction, not just in English, but also Rahim Asum Raza's uh, novel, set in the emergency era is very much about what Indira Gandhi meant for the people of India, Mm. right? And it's interesting because I don't think we've actually had someone capture our imagination that way and be used in the political space that way for, you know, decades afterwards. Or indeed before, for all that we have so much literature about our founding fathers, I don't think much of it generated by themselves, of Mm -hmm. course, between Gandhi, Nehru and Ambedkar, alone, you mm. have perhaps six libraries worth of, uh, you know, pretty good reading. <laughs> um, but none of them, to me, have captured a fictional imagination in India in quite the way that Indira Gandhi has. And I do think a lot of that has to do with the visuals. She was always Mother India, mm. you know. Fragility and strength yeah. coming together in one. Absolutely. And I think uh, whatever present or future leaders may may do, they're going to have a hard time beating that appeal. In some ways, perhaps it's for the best that her innermost life remains unknown to us because there's clearly so much that she did and was ultimately responsible for that's left for us to chew over. I can't wait for her papers to be made public, though. I will say this. Until then... Please look up these books, uh, the good ones. Stay away from the bad ones. Don't look at the WhatsApp forwards. Those are not books. They are not a good idea. And they're Um, not based on books either. Yeah, they're terrible. But anyway, thank you for this, Supriya. And we will see you next time. Unlike our politicians, we keep our promises. So here's the update that I mentioned at the top of the episode. So what you've just heard is actually the beginning of the whole idea of Lit Pickers. In 2017, 
which was Indira Gandhi's birth centenary, because she was born in 1917, there was a rash of new books on her. And that's really where all this began, because I think Supriya just needed to tell someone, anyone, everyone, how much she disliked that one particular biography. And so we sat down and we started talking about it. And we chose to focus only on Indira Gandhi, because not only was she a popular leader, she has the credit of being the only Indian prime minister to be uncontroversially called a dictator. We didn't bring into our conversation other contrasting figures who have also informed the modern Indian imagination, like Dr. B.R. Ambedkar or a whole host of people. We also steered clear of uh, contemporary leaders, even though it's pretty clear now that they seem to be well poised to give Indira Gandhi's authoritarian credentials a run for their money and are inspiring novels and films and whatever else. So here we are in 2020, when the word authoritarian is being used openly in the international press while talking about India, something that neither of us had imagined two years ago. Meanwhile, many of Indira Gandhi's public relations strategies, like being photographed in seemingly candid but meticulously arranged moments, vetting interviewers, rigidly controlling the information that the public has about her, all of this is still in use arguably overused. And we're going to have to wait and see how history repeats itself. But for now, the great literature of this age has not been produced yet. And in some senses, it's being written every day in the streets, at the sit-ins, by students, teachers, and many others who are shaping our story and our times. If we'd recorded this episode this month, we'd have focused more directly on this parallel. But we did do this in 2019. So for now, this is what we're putting at the end of the episode. This is Dipanjana Pal signing off. This is a Made in India production. The editorial producers are May Thomas and Sean Phantom. Sharnia Subramanian is our producer and the assistant producer is Janam Devan. These episodes are edited by Vijay Doifare and recorded by Adriel George, as well as the Island City Studio. Our theme music is Here's to You by the Easy Wanderlings.